I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good Monday afternoon. Nice to be here with you. I'm Nadine Blaney and this is AusBiz. This is The Call. So we've got two expert guests here with me for the next hour to talk about all of the companies that you've nominated for their review and we'll tell you whether they would buy, hold, or sell today. With me in studio, I have Nathan Somersandaram from Deep Data Analytics. Hello. And Howard Coleman from Team Invest. Nice to see you both. Hi. On this Monday, where we're watching the ASX rally, boy, we seem to be on fire with um, no, you know, nothing to stop us. Yeah. Look at Bitcoin, it, look at gold. Yeah, it's um, everything is running. Um, and uh, on the back of that, I think the Everyone's worried about the macro risk. You've got uh, bonds bouncing and you've got gold running, you've got Bitcoin running. Um, yeah, everyone's at this point, make your bets. And uh, it, it is a bit of a casino royale at the moment. Uh, the odds of rate cuts in the US, it's, you know, the market keeps going up because there's inflows. So to justify that, everyone's bringing the rate cuts forward and forward. Uh, it's amazing. We, we've now got rate cuts in, I think, second quarter. Yeah. And so are we expecting a recession in the first quarter? It's going to be a hard bang and then we get rate cuts, I'm assuming, because I, I struggle to see how a central bank talking hawkishly suddenly is going to cut rates in less than three, four months. It's uh, amazing, but the market is the market. Yeah, yeah. so you've got to take what's in front of exactly. you, Howard. Casino Royale, that's not how we should be thinking about the market, is it? Well, at the moment, I totally agree with Nathan's concept on that. Uh, I think it was a good description. Um, to think that in, uh, inflation is going to magically go away in a big hurry, uh, I think is living in dream world. I mean, we've got uh, services inflation, we've got greenflation from the fact that we need to do something about climate change. Um, we've got all sorts of extra things governments are committed to spend on. Um, it's hard to see inflation going away that fast that we're going to get cuts in interest rate in a few months time. Um, and it's hard to see that there's a recession coming in a few months' time. I mean, we're not seeing any signs of that. I keep hearing retail's doing it tough, but every shopping centre I walk through, uh -huh. the shops are full. There's no empty stores with four lease signs on it. If they are, it's like one in a shopping centre. I remember real recessions when you'd walk through a shopping mall and every third or fourth shop would be boarded up and standing empty. That's what a recession looks like. This doesn't look like a recession. Doesn't feel like a recession, does it, with Christmas fast no. approaching? All right, um, look, we will no doubt touch upon some of those <laughs> themes throughout this program. Let's get to the companies that we will be reviewing. Credit Corp, Archtis, Treasury Wine Estates, OFX Group, and Botanics Pharmaceuticals. That's just in the first half hour of this program. But today I picked Metcash as the stock of the day. Why? Well, it reported today, of course, an over 1% rise in first half 
group revenue to $7.8 billion. Underlying earnings, however, were lower after an increase in corporate costs in its hardware division, more than offset earnings growth in its uh, food and liquor divisions. Looking ahead, Metcash says that it expects to deliver between $14 and $16 million in annual savings from its cost optimization program in the second half. It will pay a fully franked interim dividend of 11 cents per share. All right, I'm going to start with you on this one, Nathan. Metcash, it's it's done well, and sales are looking pretty solid to start this uh, this half. Yeah, I mean, I guess it just comes down to where your growth is coming, um, and it was the whole supermarket sector was a market darling, uh, and it made sense because in an inflationary cycle, they all pass it on. They're good at you have no choice. Um, I actually got um, a couple of relatives of mine down from Germany, and they were singing the praises of Aldi. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I was telling them, yeah, without Aldi, we probably uh, get squeezed even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but look, I think the sector was good. But of course, when inflation comes off, it's harder for them to keep the margin. So the, it made sense. Woolies is, I mean, Woolies was the preferred one. We were in it. It ran too hard. We got out. And, you know, when you've got Woolies being thrown as a stock pick by most people, that's generally a bad idea. Um, so that's when we got out. And things have underperformed a bit, which is logical with inflation coming off. Um, consumer spending cycle, um, I, I'd expect, I mean, we all expected it to slow down. It's taken longer, which is amazing how much credit that consumers have been able to get access globally, uh, even in a tightening cycle. Uh, but I think that'll eventually buy. So in that context, everyone's worried and it makes sense. Um, so I'm not jumping in to pick the bottom here. Uh, Metcash um, is doing okay. I don't think they're struggling, but I think the overall cycle is tough. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think Woolies is the best of the lot, but I'm not buying Woolies here, so I'm definitely not buying Metcash. Okay, if you had Metcash, would you hold it though? I think it's okay, yeah. yeah I think okay. uh, if, you, if you're there, you've taken the hit. I think, yeah, downside risk is a bit, but I don't think there's a lot of downside risk. I think overall, it's not going to go bust. You can ride through the cycle. Okay, there you go. It's a hold for Metcash for Nathan Summersundaram, Woolworths best of the bunch. Boy, Howard, I remember years ago you telling me to buy Woolworths and just put mm. it in the bottom drawer and never think of it again. Mm. You still think that? Well, look, I mean, uh, it's one that was never going to be a capital killer. You were never going to lose any money on it. Um, but food and groceries and the sort of things they sell are not going to grow that rapidly either. Um, so it, it's the kind of safe thing you can put in the bottom drawer, forget about. Um, but you're not going to get rich out of either. Um, like Nathan, I'm, I mean, the sector should do well in an inflationary environment, but the results looked so positive. If you read it, the words used in the report to the market was so positive, but the numbers aren't all that positive. You know, they've grown one or two percent. Well, inflation's been more than that, so they haven't even kept up with inflation. Their profits are down, and the way they're going to solve that is by cutting costs out of the business. Well, why'd they have the costs in the first place in the business if they were running it well? So, you know, you you don't get a pat on the back for removing costs you shouldn't have had. So uh, I I certainly didn't get enthused about it when uh, I read it this morning, Um, but it was okay. Okay. Uh, and, And that's about all you can say. And if inflation does continue, which I expect it will, not necessarily at sky high rates, but no time in history has inflation proved that transitory that it came and went in such a short period of time it just doesn't happen we always talk about it's going to i mean every time in history it was always going to be transitory but it never was um so 
you know, uh, you can't do too wrong in being in one of these in the space, but I also still prefer Woolworths to Metcash, although Metcash is on a PE of only 11. So it's actually pretty cheap uh, compared to the other two. Um, mm-hmm. But in the longer term, uh, I'd rather be with a better company. Okay, I'm going to call that a hold from both of you guys, but mm-hmm. both of you prefer um, Woolworths in that space. Sure. All right, happy with that. Let's go on. Let's go to the companies that have been nominated by you, our viewers. And the first one is from Marlin. Uh, Marlin has nominated Credit Corp. CCP is the ticker code. I'm going to start with you on this one, Howard. Um, so what does the stage of the cycle that we're in mean for Credit Corp? Well, it's very interesting, actually, because so far, not enough people are doing it tough. Now, Credit Corp does well when it can buy from banks and credit card companies and telcos and so on, debtors ledgers of people who are in arrears in their payments. And usually they're 90 days in arrears by the time Credit Corp buys them. And when things are tough, there's lots of those debtors ledgers to buy and the prices tend to be cheap. But the banks have so little in the way of people in arrears on their loans and their mortgages that Credit Corps had very little to buy in this country. At the same time, in the US, where they have less experience, they made some purchases which they now regret that they probably overpaid it a bit. Didn't they downgrade late last mm-hmm. year? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They said that they'd, in retrospect, slightly overpaid and they were going to take a write down. And the way they take their write down is they take the entire value of the book they've uh, bought and write it all down in the one year, when in actual fact they would have been collecting it over several years. So it's really what could have been taken over several years taken in one year. So they, they're not going to have a particularly exciting year this year in terms of their results. But with both the US and Australia now having a slight increase in number of people getting 90 days in arrears, and one thinks that's going to get worse, although it seems to be taking a long time to get there. Uh, assuming that happens, that's really good for Credit Corp. So from their point of view, it's much more important that they can buy ledgers or PDLs as they call them, purchase debt ledgers, cheaply. The collection side of it uh, probably doesn't matter as much. Um, So in the long term, this should be a good period in the cycle for Credit Corp, but it's been taking a while to get there. It seems like it's only going to be early next year before there's a fair amount of them available. Okay, so today it's a buy because yeah, of price? Well, definitely, because it's really cheap. I mean, it's on a P of about 10 or something, I think. Uh, I'll just have a quick look. Uh, yeah, just under 10. So on a P of just under 10, you've got an earnings yield of 10%. Um, you can get perhaps 5% in the bank. So you're getting double what you would be getting in the bank. Not all of it is dividends, some of it reinvested, but the earnings yield is roughly double what you can get um, with your money if it was in cash. That's better than most other things you can put it into in the market. There are a few other companies with very low PEs, but generally not with as good prospects if the economy turns bad. They'll be beneficiaries from a downturn in the economy. Okay, but then we've got, you know, um, interest rate cuts coming next year. And maybe can we can we trust a company that clearly, you know, recent history would prove that it made a bit of a mistake in judging the timing of the cycle. Well, look, I'll start with the positive and then get to my dump truck. Um, <laughs> I, I guess it, it's a really well-managed business. Uh, management is great. Um, in the industry, these are, I mean, these are the only ones that are actually running around. Everyone else blow mm. themselves up. Mm. Uh, so they benefited from that. The Aussie market was just a mess. Um, and their growth story, I mean, they're pretty much a US growth story. So. Forget the Aussie market, it's, it's not material anymore. It, it is a play on US, 
Um, and it's an interesting one because the US recession cycle was going to always weigh on it. This was my short idea a couple of years ago mm -hmm. um, because market is forward looking. It looks at how much, I think that where they worry about is, yes, they will get something, but the good thing about them is they don't overpay as much where the other guys overpaid and got blown up. They don't pay overpay, overpay as much, but it's a cycle. Um, you're getting unemployment now ticking up. So the collection side of it will get harder and harder. So it is tough for them. Um, I am not jumping in, you know me, downgrade cycle. Mm -hmm. Do not go there till you get the first upgrade. So I am not touching it. It's down, it is actually cheap now. So it is interesting for that uh, reason. But this is a market where value is outperforming. But you buy value on an upgrade, on the turnaround. Don't predict the turnaround because it is tough out there. The macro cycle in the US is slightly, I mean, around the world is being buffered by fiscal spending. They can't sustain that. So there's going to be issues. So I wouldn't jump in and buy it, but this is one on my shopping list. I am waiting for the first positive news. When they do an upgrade, then I'm all over it like a cheap suit. What do you think so of that strategy? I, I just bought a little bit more a while ago. I should have actually said I own it. I forgot to say yeah. that. I do own the company. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay. So there you yep. go. We've got a bit of a disagreement. So it's a buy from Howard. It's a watch list scenario for Nathan because he reckons that there still is some tough. Oh, I think the US um, economy struggles yeah. into next Which year. means that they struggle to exactly. reclaim their debt. All right. Well, we'll leave that one there. Let's get to the next on the list. And this is Arch. Artis. I always say it wrong. Archtis is the ticker code or is the name and the ticker code is AR9. This is for Mason. So this is one that we've had on the program a few times there, Mason. It has been winning some contracts, some pretty sticky ones from what I understand. Uh, what do you make of the company though? It is a small cap. It is small. I mean, this is a tough one in this kind of market, 34 mil market cap. Uh, you have to be careful here. Um, tech, again, beaten up sector. So. That kind of makes it worthwhile, you want to look, but the size is a worry. Um, I think I'd be in this market, I'd want around at least 100 mil market cap. You want the liquidity. Um, I think when you get below 100 mil, it can get spicy. But for the people who want the high risk, I mean, obviously you, you do go down that path and um, we do have investors who do go down that path. Um, so in that context, it's actually looking okay. The key things when it's this size are look, do they need to raise money? That's where you get nailed. Um, they got about three mil. Um, they're burning about one mil a year run rate. So they're, they're not gonna raise money in the short term. Um, the other thing that tells me is no brokers involved, no brokers covering it. So that means they're not gonna raise money in the short term. Uh, so those kind of things tell me they're doing okay. They're winning a few things. They're stabilizing. Now, when it comes to this kind of size, I don't know the management. Now you have to know the management. You've got to trust management and you've got to bet on management to execute. So it's a tough market out there. But they seem to be doing a few things positive. If you're there, you like management, it's worth the risk, but it is a high risk play. So I'm not jumping into it. We are not playing too much in the tech at the moment because I don't think the market is looking at tech correctly because everyone's looking at the big techs. Um, they are seen as recession proof, uh, but that is incorrect. They are cyclicals. Uh, so I think there is risk in the tech sector. So everyone's trying to pick the turn. This is not a market to pick a turn. Wait for the stocks to recover, deliver you some positive news, then look at them. So this one is, I think they're doing the right things, but I, I, it'll be, it, it's too small for us. But if you're interested, I would say, keep an eye on it, wait for the result. When you get an upgrade result, then look to go in. Even if it moves up, it's okay. It's come off 
the stock is not doing anything. No one's going to rush in and jam it up. If they do, then there must be something happening. But at the moment, I think it's in a consolidation phase. So for you, patience is a virtue right now. Even if you yes. like the tech, I mean, they get government contracts. It's yep. in security. It's data security. Like all of these check the box yeah. sort of narratives. But you're saying very happy to wait until you see proof that there's a yeah, check coming. The biggest performing factor in the US market right now over the last 12 months, even more than value, is size. Size matters right now in this risky market. So you've got to be careful. I can't imagine that you would be keen to get into a small Aussie listed tech company, Howard. No, because it doesn't make any money. If it was actually making a profit, I'd be really enthused. And I always get worried when people talk about winning contracts. In order to win a government contract, you have to quote the cheapest, which means you're likely to lose money on delivering the contract. So it's not a win, it's a loss. Um, I'd be much happier if they only won the occasional contract and lost all the others, which said they were being sensible on their pricing. But when a company wins a lot of contracts, it usually means shareholders are going to be the losers. It sounds good on paper. We won a contract from the government, but that means we tendered the lowest price. And if all our competitors were smarter than us, they probably worked out the pricing better than we did. Now, this is a company that's only doing $6.5 million in sales. Um, the cost of listing and being a listed company is so much that you've got to be making quite decent profit margins on that kind of number to have any hope of even covering your costs of being a listed company and all the requirements that go with being a listed company. So, uh, you, you know, just looking at it, it's losing money every year. Um, the losses don't seem to be shrinking. Um, in fact, they're growing. That's losing more money with each passing year, which suggests these contracts they're winning, they're delivering at a loss. And uh, it's got such a tiny market cap that I don't know how you'd buy any. And even if you did, how would you ever get out if you wanted to get out? So, uh, and Nathan made a very good point there that I pick up on as well. If you're going to invest in a small company, it has to be a company where you really know the management well and trust them. Because in the end, you're putting your money into what is almost a private business when it's that small, because it's gonna be hard to get out. So if you trust the management and they've had a track record of delivering profits to shareholders, either in this company or in a different business before, that's a positive. I don't know these people, I don't know whether they have or haven't, but on what I can see here, I wouldn't even bother looking at it and Team Invest members would take one glance and say, waste of time. There you go, Mason. There's your verdict from Nathan and Howard Coleman from Team Invest. Let's get to uh, the bigger end of the market, shall we? And this one is for Roy. Uh, it's Treasury Wine Estates. He says, I don't own it, but I'm currently giving it some consideration. The new acquisition of Dow doesn't appear to have gone down, excuse the pun, with the market that well, but it's a luxury brand. And he says, luxury seems to be okay in these times, even when money is tight. Then he says there is the prospect of reductions in Chinese tariffs and that market reopening for TWE. He's interested in a, I love this perspective, thank you, longer term hold, not a trade. So there we go. We've got a lot of information. Uh, clearly knows you know what's going on with mm. the company. So it comes down to whether you two, uh, start with you actually, Howard, if you think that Treasury Wine Estate is a good investment for capital gains for the long term. Yeah, and in fact, it's great to see somebody looking at things long term because that's the way you really make money uh, as an investor is to look for the long term. Now, Treasury Wine Estates, uh, like most agricultural businesses, uh, struggles to get a decent return on equity. And its return on equity is only exceeded 10% once 
in the last 10 years. Now that's not a good sign because the return on equity effectively caps your long-term return. If your long-term uh, return, sorry, if your return on equity is less than 10%, your long-term capital gains and dividends together are highly unlikely to work out to be more than 10%. So as a long-term investor, the first thing you should look for is a high return on equity and that being achieved with very little debt. Now, their debt's not bad. They've got about 50% debt to equity. So a little bit more than we like, but it's not a problem. We still pass our filters. Um, but its return on equity is too low for a, giving you a good return over the long term. And uh, yes, uh, Chinese market is opening up. They talk about it being a luxury type product um, because they have some very highly regarded brands. But if they're that highly regarded, why is their return on equity so low? So, you know, if you look at some of the other luxury brand sellers around the world, they have high return on equity. That's what goes with luxury, usually is high return on equity. So not a bad company. It certainly won't be a capital killer. If you own it, you probably look back in 10 years time and say, I haven't done too badly, but I don't think you'll have done too well either. And it's on a 25 PE, which means the earnings yields only about 4%. Um, that's not going to be hugely attractive when you look back 10 years later. All right, so that's a... It's a no. It's a no. But I like the wines. <laughs> yeah, well, we all can, can't we? Um, what do you think, Nathan? It's it's an interesting stock. It, it is a, definitely an interesting stock, and it is a very... Um, I guess a lot, it gets a lot of arguments. Mm -hmm. um, you can be on both sides. Well, I was interested to hear, you know, Howard right away call it an agriculture stock. Yeah, that, I, I was yeah. too. Um, for me, it's not. It's a media stock. Um, it's a marketing stock. They have a brand. Uh, they're good at marketing the brand, uh, maybe not so. Um, they're good at it when you have the Chinese market. It is a purely a Chinese market play. It is about the margins. Nobody gives you margins like the Chinese. It's just simple fact. So when they lost the Chinese market, game over. So their acquisition, recent acquisition, which was quite interesting because the viewers bang on. There is a real chance that the tariffs come off mm -hmm. for China. But it, it is like A2 milk. You have the time under the sun. You bask in the glory. The timing was impeccable. Um, you know, the Chinese were, they had issues with the domestic milk powder producers and A2 milk came in at the right time. Massive run, huge margins, Dago market, you name it, they killed it. Similarly, Treasury Wine benefited from that, but they've been out of that market for a while. People get used to something else. And then even in the premium brands, they use other products. And it's hard to get it back. It doesn't necessarily mean you will get it back. That's one side of the argument. The other part is they made an acquisition that basically is telling me that they don't think they will do that well in China because they're trying to diversify too much because the high margin is with China. Right, right. So by default, by expanding into the US, they they're are recognizing that, that this limited. might not be that as well. So for me, it is a growth story and uh, how it's right. You're paying a high multiple. So they need China. So this is a China story. You're buying it for China. If you don't have China, no need to be there. So you're basically betting that they can execute in China. The rest is side story for me. If they execute in China, margins come back, this thing starts to look like a growth. So they're gonna execute in China? I don't think so. The management is telling me the otherwise. They're betting on a diversification. So management is telling me they're not so sure. If they're not so sure, I'm not so sure. I don't think the risk return sits there, but it, again, 
If and, if they execute, then I'll change my mind. But at this point, I'm not. And there are so many other competitors. Exactly. You know, I mean, it's not as if China's only going to be buying wine from Australia. Yeah. You know, there's wine coming from all over the world, and there are some fantastic wines and fantastic brands from lots of other places too. So you've got to be bloody good to okay. execute well in a market they, when you've got they, that much in, competition. In their defence, they do have one great brand. Petfords. Exactly. Yeah. So they do have that, but can that save them? Management is telling me no, they're not so sure. So if the management is not sure, I'm not sure. So I am going to keep an eye on it. If they do execute, I don't mind chasing it. But at this point, I think the risk return is not with you. Okay. There you go. Well, thank you for the thought out question. And you've got an answer that uh, yeah, is coming from both of my expert guests. Let's get to the next one that's on the list. This is for Uwen who writes. OFX Group, OFX is the ticker code, has a strong balance sheet, increasing net profit, expanding margins, and he's pointing out that insiders have been buying recently. Nathan, would you be buying OFX or is this sort of a numbers game? Like when there's volatility, then you see the numbers coming through, but unsustainable. It it is a currency volatility play. Um, I have to say the management's done well, but it can be quite cyclical. So. US dollar rising consistently for a period of time has hurt them. And then now that that's rolling over, now you've got volatility coming back into currency as well with everything. Um, so in that context, actually, it is interesting. Um, I think it is relatively, I wouldn't say it's low risk. This is a relatively risky business, uh, very cyclical. But it's actually not bad. It looks so ugly that I actually say, I think it's okay. The biggest risk for them is a lot of fintechs now offer uh, almost zero cost FX, but they tend to do it for small to medium businesses. Yeah. So it kind of works well. They're in that cap that the banks just don't want to play uh, and the retail guys don't want to use. So they're in that gap. So I think it's interesting. I think it can be. I am not, I, I would say you don't throw everything at it. I, I would say you nibble uh, by a bit at a time, but it's back at that level. I think it's worthwhile. But it, it is, you have to accept that this is very cyclical. It'll move around with currency volatility. So um, put a bit. If once it starts to put up numbers, then follow up with more. Don't jump in all in one. All right, that is a nibble. So that is a minor buy. Uh, Howard, what do you make of OFX? Yeah, it actually looks pretty good. I mean, it's got high return on equity. Return on equity is averaged over 20% per annum for the last few years, which is not that surprising. doesn't need that much equity to run the business that it's running. It's really, in a way, the intermediary between two parties wanting to move currency from one to the other. Um, It's growing its earnings at more than 10% a year so far. Yes, it could be cyclical, but it's shown this over almost a decade now, so that looks pretty good. Hasn't got much debt, balance sheet strong, and it's on a PE of about 10 and a half. So all of the uh, metrics look pretty positive, uh, and I think volatility uh, is here with us for a long time. If you look through history, every time we've had interest rates too low for too long in any country in the last 300 years or so, the following decade at least after that was a time of everything being difficult and changing on a rapid basis. So that's probably good for them. Um, So yeah, I mean, uh, it's not one I'd be 
bouncing up and down with excitement about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it, all of its metrics look good enough that if Team Invest members looked at this, there'd bound to be some of them who'd say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm happy to run some more detailed analysis on it and probably buy it. Well, I never, I was not expecting that. I'm going to call it a minor buy, a little bit of a nibble from both of my guests. There we go. All right, we are on a roll here. Let's get to the next one on the list, which I think might come crashing down. (laughs) Bring us to an abrupt stop. Um, This is Botanics Pharmaceuticals. Look, I'm just an observer. I'm completely agnostic. BOT is the ticker code. This has been picked by Ty. We don't have any context. From Ty, so we don't know if he holds it already, or if he's just interested, or whether he likes the narrative, or what it is. So, Howard, why don't you start with a clean, you know, fresh slate? Tell okay. us about it. Fresh slate. It's lost money every year for the last ten years. Um, that's not a good sign if you want to be a shareholder in a business. It's um, started off ten years ago with having seventy-seven million shares on offer. It's now got one point three billion shares on offer, which means it's been raising money from shareholders all the time. That's not a good sign either. Um, As I say, it's losing money. Uh, It doesn't pay any dividend, obviously, because it's losing money. Uh, You know, I suppose the only good thing I can find about it doesn't have any debt. So uh, that's the one positive. But everything else, it's sort of shudder, shudder, shudder. Um, When I look at it, it's got a product in phase three trials that have had quite positive phase three trials. But that doesn't mean it's going to make any money out of it. It's a fairly unusual, uh, it's not a life-threatening problem that it's solving. I think it's excessive sweating in the arm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah so. but I mean, boy, that's very marketable uh, to solve people's problems. It's awaiting FDA approval. A lot of people approval. have a problem. Yeah, a lot of people have a problem. <laughs> yeah, boy, I could... but, but then they've got to be good at running a business. Yeah. So far, they haven't shown they're good at running a business. All right. So, um, you know, you only want about 20 or maybe 30 shares in your portfolio. Uh, this can't possibly be one of the 20 to 30 best ones you can find. Okay, good. <laughs> Got it. Nathan, what do you think? I am not shocked at all. Um, oh, look, I'm a, a, a viewers and all, I like biotech, yeah. right? So, because um, that's the I, thing, you want these companies to be coming up. Yeah, with these I mean, you want the next ESL. However, I mean, whether or not you want to fund it. Yes, that's that's the problem. So, you've got to look at, and, you know, you got to, the first, uh, you know, blaring red flag is it has 1.5 billion shares. Yeah. That just tells you they raise a lot of money. So they just raised money. Um, so at least if you're buying now, you're not going to get diluted straight away. Uh, there's one broker covering it. I assume they raised the money. Um, <laughs> and, and they must have a buy on it. So um, they've been cutting the target price for the last three, four months. Uh, so in context, um, it's, it's, had a, it's actually had a decent run. Um, but yeah, this is got a lot of things that worry me about biotechs. Um, about biotechs, you really have to, I mean, if you, in a small micro cap, you have to trust management. This is 200 million, so it's a, it's a decent sized market cap. So, but you still, in biotech space, you really have to trust management. Mm-hmm. And when the music stops, you have to get out. There is no falling in love with these things because they can go back to zero. I mean, I've, I've lost money on things that had, you know, 50, 60 million dollar deal with Merck. And, you know, these guys, they're resubmitting to FDA. What happened the first time? Uh, and I know a particular stock that used to be like $12 and is now $1 because the FDA submission never actually worked out. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a working product. So in that context, these can take a lot longer than what you think. You could be finding it. So um, too many red flags. I wouldn't jump into this biotech. I am a fan of the sector. Um, if you like it, you'll love the management. Uh, look, 
usually in, in my back in my day when I used to look at biotechs and invest in them a fair bit, um, I take a basket of four or five, I put a bit of money in it and because then it forces me to uh, follow it and then see how they go. They need to execute, they need to get through, they need to hit the benchmarks, then you can follow through. You should never invest in biotechs just throwing all your investment in because it's high risk. Straight away it's high risk and even in that you should do it in tranches so when it doesn't work out, it's you. this is not about you being right. You're here to make money. So if you're here to make money, if you want to be the high risk investor, you've got to be able to get out and not fall in love. So that's the key thing. Mm -hmm. Manage your risk. This one, too many red flags for me. All right, got it. Thank you, guys. Listen, we are halfway through this program. Hard to believe on this Monday. Let me just sum up what we've learned so far. And for the stock of the day being Metcash, it is a hold for both of my guests. So look, nothing wrong with it but they're just not very enthused. I think that was the word that Howard used by this one. Both though, if you're looking to hold a grocery play, would prefer Woolworths over Metcash. So it's not exactly a huge ringing endorsement on this day, given it reported. Okay, let's get to the companies that have been nominated by you. For CCP, for Credit Corp, it is a buy for Howard. He says it's really cheap and it's coming into a sweet spot in the cycle. Nathan says it's really well managed, but he never buys anything in a downgrade cycle. Wait for the news to change though it is cheap. Archtis, um, high risk for Nathan, small cap, tech. Um, you know, he just doesn't see a lot of reason to be in it right now. Now, I did have an email in from a viewer, thanks Annie, I think it was, saying Howard's got it wrong when it comes to tendering for government contracts. We don't have time to flesh that all out. <laughs> but Howard is concerned that when you are tendering for government contracts, sometimes you're doing so at a low margin. Um, Annie says that that is incorrect, uh, but he, when it comes to Archtis, he's just saying, why? Why be in it? There are so many other stocks there. You can avoid this one. Um, Treasury Wine, it's an agri stock for Howard, so that says a lot. Um, he just doesn't think that the return on equity is a good sign over very many years, so he would avoid this one. Uh, Nathan would avoid um, Treasury One states as well. He just doesn't believe that those Chinese margins are going to be the big savior. OFX, it's a nibble. It's a it's a specky buy for both of my guests, um, because of where we are in the cycle and the metrics. The financial metrics pass the team invest filters, so they would be doing more due diligence on OFX and Botanics Pharma. You've just heard both of my guests would be avoiding that one. All right, that brings us to our new portfolio. You can find that online, osbiz.com.au. Of course, just search for Investment Committee and you'll get the latest episode. We had some new buys and sells. We had ResMed, Car Group, and Johns Ling being bought. West Farmers, RPM Global, and MA Financial sold. Here's the performance so far, up by close to 11% on a cumulative return basis since March 1st, 2022. So keep sending your requests in and guess what? The guys will be discussing OFX, not January, February. Have a bit of a month off yeah. in January. I think it's well-deserved. Okay, so let's get to the companies that we'll be discussing. What a day to be talking about Northern Star Resources, Arfura, Rare Earths as well, Terracom, Visarn. So interesting. It's been nominated as an advent calendar pick by one of our guests. So it just came up last week, just on my radar last week. Nominated today and gold hydrogen. We'll talk about it as well. So a little bit more on the specky end of the market with some of these companies. Let's get though to Northern Star Resources. This has been picked by Alex. Nathan, I'm going to start with you because I'll let you in on a little secret, folks. Nathan was a little bit tardy for this episode because of course he's fielding a whole bunch of phone calls on gold with gold futures at record highs. Yeah, well, spot gold on Friday closed at all-time high. Yep. Um, and this morning, um, 
we had in our market gold actually pop up quite hard, uh, which was not sustainable. It was up like 50 bucks at one point. It's now down about, I mean, yeah. up about $15. So that makes more sense. Um, but look, the Aussie gold miners, so we, we've been big fans of Aussie gold miners um, in, in the last uh, while, and it's had a pretty good run. Um, despite Aussie dollar bouncing back on US dollar weakness, I mean, the, the two big thematics for me was the central banks generally get it wrong, and guess what, they got it wrong again, and the US dollar is starting to roll over. We probably peak in rate hike cycle. We might get one or two more, but we're near the end. Um, and bond yields have started to come off as bond market rebounds. So generally, once you get that kind of cycle, gold does well. So despite interest rates going up, Gold actually, on a relative basis, held up quite well. So the market has been looking at gold as the hedge against inflation and market risk. And uh, you know, inflation never goes away. I mean, people talk about inflation's falling, sure. But if you look at the actual inflation data around all most Western economies, the actual prices are 15 to 20% higher than pre-pandemic everywhere. So even if inflation goes to zero, it's still 15 to 20%. So unless you've got a pay rise of 15 to 20% in the last couple of years, which not many people do, you are in financial stress. So it's a matter of time. So those things kind of play out. So I think it was a matter of time for us and we that was one of our key sectors. We are in number of uh, Aussie gold miners um, and Gold Road hit near all-time high um, and Northern Star is probably the best, the biggest, um, and they're churning out cash. So you know the, the even if this kind of turns around, Aussie dollar, global growth worries, it'll come off. Tomorrow, RBA is unlikely to hike. Then Aussie dollar will roll. Aussie dollar spot gold will go even higher. So they will churn out a lot of cash. Their debt disappears. A lot of gold stocks are running hard, and I, I suspect we're going to see, keep seeing that. Northern Star, look, previous high is around $14, $15. Um, Where is it know, now, sorry? It's now just short well, of 13 All of us looking no, at our glasses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just short of 13 So I suspect you're probably going to see it go to a new high. Um, so I'd be backing Northern Star. Now the new crisis has disappeared. Um, Northern Star becomes the biggest guy in town. Um, mm. So I'm a buyer of gold. We have been, we, you know, I've been All talking right. about it on the show. So it's going high. So Northern Star is a buy. So yeah, Nathan was on the phone with uh, many of his <laughs> peeps explaining the, the updated view on gold. Um, gold miner, Howard? Yeah, I mean, I spent the first 40 years of my life in the country that up until then had produced about 85% of the world's gold, uh, South Africa. And it, there was this myth always that gold is a good hedge against inflation. And we talk about gold being at an all-time high. In 1979-80, gold hit $800 an ounce. Now, $800 in an ounce in 1980 I bought 10 Kruger ends, so 10 ounces of gold, because I got really enthused. Gold was an all-time high. Didn't know as much about investing then as I know today. <laughs> and at the same time, in the same month, I actually bought a new Mercedes, what would be the equivalent of an E-Class today. Yeah. They didn't call it the E-Class then, uh, but the equivalent of an E-Class today. And they cost roughly the same. I spent the same amount of money on my 10 ounces of gold as I spent on a Mercedes E-Class. Now, 10 ounces of gold today is about 30,000 Australian dollars, roughly, give or take a bit. You can't buy an E-Class Mercedes for $30,000. And if you measure it against almost everything else, if you actually look at it and you measure it over long periods of time, gold is not a good hedge against inflation. But the myth is that it's a good hedge against inflation. So there are times when buying gold miners is really good because the market out there thinks it's a good hedge against inflation. They worry about inflation. 
gold prices go up, gold shares go up. But in actual fact, long term, it's a very bad investment. Warren Buffett's done some long term calculations on this and got a whole lot of info on this uh, that's worth reading. But looking at if I was going to own a gold mine, yes, or gold mining company, this would be the one. It's probably the best by far of the gold mining companies in this country. Um, but it's on a P of 23, which certainly doesn't make it cheap. Yes, the gold price could go up for a bit, but I'd rather put my money in a well-run business growing its earnings at 10% a year than rely on gold going up in price. And remember, like all miners, the resource gets less with each one you take out. So the gold mine gets worth less every time you buy some gold, or every time it sells some gold. There's less gold left in the ground. Now, I know they've got many years left, but uh, the yeah, principles are the same. Yeah, and everything yeah. else. All right, so I'm, I'm just, for the sake of clarity, would you buy Northern Star today no. or still no? Just for the data, um, in the last 53 years, gold has gone 53 times. Gold has, what do you mean gold has gone? 50, up, 53 gone up times. Through, yeah. So it, it does cycles. There's probably three no, major that's, cycles. That's not correct because gold was correct. $800 an ounce when I bought my Kruger ends in 1979, end of 1979. And it's, that's US dollars. And it's now 2,000. That's not 53 times. Oh, I can give you the data, but it's 53 times. No, um, it isn't. Okay. Uh, but it, it has. Um, it, it, it was $35 an ounce when it was liberalized and it stopped being a fixed price under President Nixon. Uh, it was $35 an ounce. And it hasn't gone 53 times from $35 an ounce. And that was when it first free floated and gold didn't have a fixed price. Mm, it's. I think I we're sure, I can show the data. Well, turn so it around. Put it on camera. Uh, well, it's hard for us to put it in context, though. In the seventies, um, spot gold was less than three hundred. Up, 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 up. There we go. Oop. It started at thirty-five dollars when it was first floated. It bounced around in the two three hundreds, four hundreds, got up to eight hundred and eighty, then dropped to about four hundred odd. Uh, by that time, I'd left South Africa when it was in about 400 odd, and now it's got to about 2,000. Well, I don't have the charts in front of me to put I, it in context. I'm, I'm literally showing you. Nor <laughs> was I around. Well, I think I was. Yeah, I wasn't around, but. but I can only look at the chart. Uh, <laughs> sometimes it's a very big disadvantage to have all these old grey hairs, but sometimes it's an advantage because yeah, you look right. through it. Well, look, um, okay. it's a buy, Northern Star for Nathan, and it is not for Howard. So we'll leave it at that, shall we? Let's get on to rare earths. So still in the resources space. This is mm. for Michael. This is our Fura Rare Earths, ARU is the ticker code. Why do I feel like there was news out today? There was, it's got financing support for its Nolans project, so 150 million US. It's um, it's actually been doing fairly well lately. It did pretty well in the wake of its quarterly update. Um, but you have to believe, and I know somebody's gonna say rare earths are not actually that rare, <laughs> but mm -hmm. it is a very hot sector of the market right now, Howard. In fact, they changed their name. They didn't used to be called rare earths in their name. They added rare earths into their name when rare earths became fashionable. Um, yes, I mean, we used to refer to them when I was at university doing physics as rarely mined minerals. We didn't refer to them as rare earths because mm -hmm. they weren't necessarily rare in the earth. Uh, some of them, like lithium, were very common, but they were rarely mined because nobody had much use for them at that stage. Obviously, we've found uses for them since. But this is a company that hasn't yet made a profit, so it's been running at a loss for years. Its number of shares has gone from 490 million to about 2 billion. Um, over that period of time, which means it's raised 
capital a number of times. So it's been doing probably a better job mining its shareholders' wallets than mining for uh, the rare earths and selling them. But, um, you know, uh, all the sort of things it's mining for probably are going to be needed more, but then somebody, plenty of other people be mining for them too. So uh, not one that we would in team invest ever really look yeah. at. Then that chart's pretty dismal looking too. It is. Um, the thing about rare, apart from the fact that it's not rare, uh, ah. it, it is about the process. Uh, it's that's that, that's all it is. It's like just like a number of commodities, a lot, a lot of the EV commodities, uh, and this is kind of put into that because a technology EV commodity. Um, it is about the process, and in the process is hard. It's ESG uh, negative, and it's very hard to get past all the regulatory requirements to set up. And we like Linus uh, for the for that reason that they actually have the process. Mm-hmm. Now that um, went through the, the the beauty of it is it's dominated by China. So the geopolitics is positive for the sector. Mm-hmm. Um, American and Australian governments are providing a fair amount of finances to get that up and running. So they have uh, alternative supply. So they were building one a supply well manufacturing processing in Western Australia, and they're building one in the U.S. Well, Linus, this is. They had one in Malaysia. There was issues with getting extension to run it longer. So there was a gap. So the stock got hammered on the back of that. We got in because of that. Um, And uh, well, it's logical that the governments will pressure Malaysia to allow them to have the extension, which they did. I thought they would get a couple of months. They got three year extension. So they went from having a gap in production to actually having excess production. So they are now a growth story in that play. So the trick here is, Rare earth is about the process, and it's a hard process. So as with some of these metals, you've got to go to the guy with the production. Yeah, and that's Linus. And that's Linus. Okay. So if you want to play that sector, go to Linus. Um, I think it's tough with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be that Linus benefits from other people bringing their product to them to process. That could play out as well because they're the guys with the experience. So Linus is the one to Yeah, so we will ignore our Fura. All right, let's get to Terracom, back to South Africa because this has some um, exposure. I think it's got assets in the coal space. Terracom is the next on the list. Let me get it up for Simon. He says it seems to have been smashed with how the last quarterly dividend, perhaps coal out of favor again. Is it a worthwhile investment? Does the panel have a preference for other coal miners? Well, um, coal is, I think, out of favor because of ESG concerns. Um, Unfortunately, we'll probably still be producing and I don't, when I say we, not necessarily Australia, but the world will still be burning coal for many, many years to come. And in fact, probably next year will be a new record. The year after that will be a new record, etc. So despite all the talk at conferences about reducing the amount of coal burnt, it actually isn't at this stage reducing. So if you're comfortable with this sort of thing, and it doesn't bother you that you're putting your money into something which may not be good for uh, our children and grandchildren uh, living on this planet, then uh, coal mines generally look very good investments because most of them are on PEs less than 10. Uh, this particular one's on an incredibly low PE. I mean, it's hard to even imagine. It's on a PE theoretically of one, which suggests that uh, its coming year is not going to be anywhere near as good as the year that it's just had. Otherwise, it sounds absurd that it could be that cheap. Um, I don't know the company well. Um, I personally wouldn't own any coal mines, but if you are going to own any coal mines, I'd do it through either Newhave Coal or Whitehaven, or better still, 
perhaps own Sol Patterson, which has a significant stake in New Hope, mm-hmm. and then at least you have other assets as well, so that if the coal goes through a negative cycle, you do fine on the other things, and when it's positive, you make some money there. Yeah, not the first time I've heard that. What do you think about Terracom specifically, though, Nathan, if we just keep it a bit tight? Yeah, look, coal actually is recovering. Um, so you look at the Northern Hemisphere uh, winter cycle coming through, so coal should do better. So I suspect you'll come through. Um, look. It, I don't have a lot to add more than what Howard said. Um, you, if you're going to play this, there is regular sovereign risk attached to this as well. So you've got to be True. careful here. Um, and that's why you get the discount. But, you know, Whitehaven and New Hope are great businesses. In our fantasy portfolio, we played through Saul. So, okay, okay, that's, there you go. so the obvious plays are the same. Bonus buy Saul Pats, yeah. okay? Let's just yep. say that. That's All right, let's go to the next on the list. And, and I mentioned this off the top. Came up in the Ausbiz Advent Calendar, which you can find online every day. We get a pick from our guests uh, for a company that they think will outperform in 2024. So this one is Visarn, V-Y-S-A-R-N. Now, um, this is in water management. Uh, it was Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capitals. I'm glad I remembered it was his pick. The ticker code is VYS, and he says that in the um, AGM, it's actually showing a maturation of the business. He thought it was a pretty good update coming from the company at the AGM. Um, you know, I know that you're probably not overly familiar with the company, Nathan, but if you go by the data, if you go by what you can see on screen, what do you think? Look, it's a sector that I like, mining services, because everyone jumped into mining uh, and everyone was overweight mining, but they weren't going into mining services. So the mining services are actually improving. CapEx is actually playing well because they're all- It's more water services, but for the mining. Yeah, so it kind of plays into those things. They do drilling as well. Yeah, so so in in the context of what most of them struggle with, because when the times were tough, they signed contracts with very low margin. Now they're signing better contracts. So the cycle is good for them. Um, it looks good, but geez, um, it's had a cycle, right? Yeah, look uh, at it. We run from about 10 cents to, uh, to you know, 27, 25, 27 cents. So you've had a good run, so you're not coming in early. So yeah, you've got to be careful. And it's not a um, big cap. So in that context, when you come, it's 100 mil after the run. So you have to be careful here. I do like the sector. I don't know this specific stock. I try to read. It actually looks pretty good and they're executing. So it's a positive tick on all of those. It's just I have a psychological issue when it's a 100 mil market cap after it runs three times to chase it. Yeah, so yeah. that's my problem. So I right. probably won't, but it's a good sector. Looks like they're executing. If you know the management, yeah, I would hold on. There you go. Debesh, that's for you. Howard, what do you think? I know that this is not in your wheelhouse as far as small cap, you know, micro cap investing, but... No, no, I mean, we don't mind if a company's small if we know the management well and we know we can trust them. Um, so it's not just because it's small that okay. we wouldn't normally yeah. like it. Uh, this one's had reasonable return on equity. Three, uh, it's had three of the last four years that the return on equity has been okay. Um, but the thing I didn't like about it as well is it's gone from 140 million shares to 400 million shares over the last several years. It's doing capital raisings. And why is it doing that? Because it's making acquisitions. And, you know, acquisitions often don't work. I don't know the management. So uh, if you, and it's on a PE of 30. Uh, after this big run. So, uh, so you not know, cheap. Nah, uh, uh, plenty of other places that you can find 20 or 30 companies to be invested in that you'd be much happier with, I'm sure, in the long term than this. All right, well, um, let's see if the next on the list is one of them for <laughs> Howard. I dare say not, although I wouldn't like to preempt. This is Gold Hydrogen, G-H-Y. This is for Dale saying, could this be a long-term, well, he says project, but I suppose it's an investment because it's looking to unlock 
natural hydrogen. Many false dawns for hydrogen, I know, but there is a lot of emphasis being placed on hydrogen as a replacement fuel. What do you think? Mm. Uh, 55 years ago, when I was a third year physics student, we were talking about the fact that hydrogen was the fuel of the future. Between nuclear and hydrogen, we were going to power the world. I'm still waiting. Um, and this particular company has got two projects in Tasmania that it's looking at where drilling was done in 1921 and 1931 that showed there was natural hydrogen there. And I'm sure at the time everybody thought it was going to be a good long-term play. Um, that's long before any of us were born, if it was 1921 and 1931, and we're still waiting. I would love the world to be powered more by hydrogen and nuclear, but there the is so much difficulty in making this all happen in the real world at an economic price, the hydrogen side, nuclear is a hell of a lot easier, that uh, the likelihood of us uh, making much money out of a hydrogen play that isn't yet making any revenue at all, still has to do a lot more drilling. Then it's got to build the pumping facilities and the infrastructure. Then it's got to find customers to buy the hydrogen. Then it's got to learn how to run a business. This is just yeah, all too yeah. hard for me. Too hard basket. But Dale, I can understand why this has sort of come up on Dale's radar because look at the share price appreciation yeah. that, that it's seen just, just lately. Well, it's got a great story and stories make share prices go up even if they don't make investors wealthy in the end. Mm -hmm. yeah. it's, uh, it's not an investment yet, but it's a spec punt. Uh, so you've got to manage that risk return. So it's a high risk punt. Uh, recent listing, um, it's basically put out that uh, they were going to go drill um, and there's a broker covering it. They upgraded by 60 odd percent. <laughs> Gotta love that. And they've gone into trading hall today. Uh, so oh, sorry, I wasn't aware uh, of that. Okay. They are waiting for the drill result. So um, it was positive signs. The market ran on that, and the drill result is coming. So it's going to be uh, a big mover in. I don't know One which direction, <laughs> uh, yeah. but so the market the target price from that broker is above a dollar. It's try, currently trading below 80 cents, so it's going to move hard. Um, so if the viewer was trying to play it, uh, it's probably a bit late uh, mm -hmm. because he's going to come through this. If it's a bad result, well done, you missed it. Uh, if it's a good one, well, you know, there's another play. But yeah, it is a high risk. At this point, it is not an investment. You are taking a punt. So if you want to do that, similar to biotechs, I suggest you take a small position, see how it goes. If they execute, then add more because it is so, these are very small stories. If they're going to become the next big thing, you've got time. You can build it over time. If you go too hard too early, you can burn your capital. Manage your risk. This is a scary market. So manage your risk. That's my key thing. Well, I think that's probably a good place to end the program, isn't it? Well, I'll just recap what we've learned about this last batch of stocks. Northern Star Resources, it is a buy for Mathan Samasandaram and it is not for the guys at Team Invest and Howard. I'll let them debate after hours um, their view on gold going forward. Arafura, if you like the rare earths narrative, you want to be in Linus and it is a no-go for Howard. Terracom, uh, you would rather be in Washington H. Soul Pats if you'd like to gain exposure to the coal narrative, and that goes for Mathan as well, or you know, via the traditional Whitehaven, um, Northern New Hope, I should say. But yeah. but they both sort of nominate Soul Pats as one to gain exposure while you've got other diversification as well. Um, Visarn, it's a hold for Mathan. Look, the cycle's good for them right now, but it's risky, and uh, yeah, you've 
already done well if you're in it already. It's not cheap for Howard and $400 million worth of shares on offer. Not his cup of tea. Gold Hydrogen, you heard that. It's a punt. It's not an investment, according to Nathan. And I think Howard would agree. All right, guys, that was um, a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank what you. a way to start the week. That's Nathan, good. as always, Howard, as always, you guys will shake hands on the way out of the studio. I will make sure of it. And uh, look, we look forward to seeing you here tomorrow. You can catch up online or via the podcast. And please do send us your picks at osbiz.co forward slash call picks. Stay with us.